Good morning. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It is good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. A lot going on around here. And just want to remind you, if you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, there is this piece of paper in your bulletin. Uh, please fill it out, drop it in the bucket on your way out, and we will follow up with you accordingly. Um, let's see, youth group tonight, 515, youth group Bible study begins. We will actually study the Bible with actual youth. It's amazing. It actually happens. Um, but uh, we will feed them, we will play a silly game, and then we will sit down and have uh, some interaction and Bible study and prayer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, great way, if you have kids, to get them a little bit of support during this stage of their life. Uh, we have um, several uh, youth mentors who have volunteered this semester to uh, sort of work with each of our youth and on a kind of direct basis, and so they'll have some good, healthy uh, adult interaction, uh, not just on Sunday evenings, but throughout uh, the weeks that they'll be in Bible study. So encourage you to get them here if you have them, or be here if you are one. Uh, coming up later uh, in October, is it October already? Ooh, wow. It's my birthday month. Thank you, Pebby. I don't look forward to birthdays anymore. It's also Keith's birthday month. There's probably several birthday months in here. Anybody else? Okay. Um, but coming up later in October on my actual birthday, actually, uh, the lily pad, um, it's, how do they, what do they call it? The farm school, which is on the, property immediately next to ours. It's adjacent to our property. Um, they are having a fall festival for their little ones, and we are looking, they've given us a table, a booth at their fall festival where we can do whatever we want, um, and we're probably going to set up that booth and do a craft or something, face painting. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, that's not my department, but we do need some volunteers to staff that booth. So if you're available on Saturday, October 29th to be here, I think the times are in there, 4 to 8 in the evening, um, we could use some help just making a good impression on a bunch of young families, uh, and they are literally right next door. So they're going to use our parking lot as an overflow for any extra parking they need, and they've given us that space in their venue for uh, free. So, um, yeah. If you're interested and available, please let, who do we let know, Deb or Jen, and they will get with you about what we're going to do and what that's going to look like. Mark your calendars for Sunday, November 13th. We are going to Lockhart, and uh, there will be some needs uh, for people to um, swing by, like take an empty cooler, swing by one of the barbecue joints in Lockhart. Uh, and pick up a brisket and then bring it to that church that we're going to, First Baptist Lockhart, and uh, then we're going to break down and have lunch after the service together. Um, and uh, 
there was a little bit of confusion. Um, Joe Novak and I were looking online at, like we're trying to figure out what time their service starts. There is First Baptist Church Lockhart, that's where we're going. And then there's First Lockhart Baptist Church, that's where we're not going. So we will make sure that everybody has the correct address. But basically, if you roll up and walk in and there's a bunch of white people in there, you did it wrong. <laughs> so that's how that works. Um, and then uh, there is a free performance of Handel's Messiah uh, on December the 3rd that some of us are going to go to. Uh, if you are interested, uh, contact Lois and let her know. Um, but it's free, so we don't really need you to buy tickets or make reservations. It's, did I mention it's free? Okay. Uh, and Handel's Messiah was, was the oratorio that we sort of used last year, earlier this year, for a sermon series called Messiah Song, and we would break on Tuesday nights uh, about once a month and look at a different component of Handel's Messiah as it related to the Bible study through the book of Isaiah that we were doing. Um, and so it, that's, that's the tie-in. That's why we're doing this. Um, but uh, that's about all I got at this time. We are going to revive men's night, and I do have a date for that. Um, I will have to, let's see. That should be October the 21st, and we will get that into the comms document and bulletin website, et cetera, coming up. But that's a Friday night, October 21st. We're going to get our men back together. Uh, there will be meat. There will be fellowship. There will be Bible study. Um, so that is coming up. And uh, what else? Yes, sir. I don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. I might need a leader. <laughs> See what happens when you speak up in church? What's that? It could be done. Says John Dunn. Haha. <laughs> I need to. It shall be done. Well done. I'm done. All right. No, he's done. Who's on first? Sort of done. Um, all right. Well, at this time, I would like to get together with all of the important people. If you are in fifth grade or younger, you are invited down for our children's chat at this time. Come on. There you go. How are you gentlemen doing today? Doing all right? Good. What grade are you in, Avery? Third grade. And you, sir? First grade. You're very big for first grade. You must be eating well. Good job. All right.
Okay. So, let's see. If I told you that I had seen purple elephants with yellow polka dots, would you believe me? Okay. If I could make a motorcycle appear by snapping my fingers, would you be more likely to believe me? You still wouldn't believe, if I could go poof and a motorcycle appeared, and then I said, I've seen purple elephants with yellow polka dots, would you be more likely to believe me if you'd seen me make a motorcycle appear? What if I made a motorcycle and a monkey appear? A little, you might be a little more inclined. And then if I said, this monkey can ride the motorcycle, and he did, and then whatever I say after that, if I said, I've seen a purple elephant with yellow polka dots, you might be more inclined to believe me? No? You're still not buying it? Wow. <laughs> what if the elephant ate the monkey on the motorcycle? Elephants don't eat animals. They're vegetarians. Don't worry about it. It's okay. All right. So, it's a tough crowd. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else could I do that would make you believe that I've seen a purple elephant with yellow polka dots? What could I do that would make you believe? What if I showed you a picture of me with a purple elephant with yellow polka dots? You would cry Photoshop. <laughs> I could have edited it. Man, this is a tough crowd. So you don't believe that there are purple elephants with yellow polka dots. Is that what you're telling me? Okay. All right. I, you're right, actually, unless somebody painted one. There are no naturally occurring purple elephants with yellow polka dots. Um, and sometimes God wants us to believe things that seem like they are impossible, right? And I'm going to tell you a quick story about a woman who um, was very poor. She didn't have enough money for food. And... God sent one of his prophets named Elijah. Can you say Elijah? Very good. Um, and to ask her for some food. Now, does it make sense to ask somebody who's poor and doesn't have any food? Does it make sense to ask them for food? No, it doesn't. But that's what God asked Elijah to do. And the woman kind of like, in a way, kind of laughed at him, like, are you kidding me? Me? How am I supposed to give you food? I'm poor, and I don't have any food, right? And Elijah said, if you'll take what little you have, and you will give me a little bit of it, you will keep having more and more over time. Like, it'll never disappear. You'll always have something. And so over the next probably few years, that woman never ran out of food, even though when she met God's prophet, she only had a handful of flour to make bread, okay? And so if 
if I could do that, would you be more likely to believe what I said? If I could make you never run out of food, what's your favorite food? How about strawberries? So if you took the last strawberry out of your refrigerator, you turned around and ate it, and then you turned back around and there were three more strawberries in there every time, that would be pretty awesome, right? Yes, you'd never run out of strawberries. And that's what God did through the prophet Elijah for this woman. And eventually, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but at the end of this story, this is what the woman said. She said, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So what that means is that God has given us his word in the Bible to help us understand how much he loves us. And that truth that's in the Bible is reliable. It's true. We can believe it even though sometimes we don't think it's true or we don't think it's going to be good. God says he loves you and his word is here to remind you each and every day that God loves you God will provide for you, God will take care of you, and he will lead you through this life, even though some days are going to be bad days, right? Does God disappear on bad days? No, he's still there, he still loves you, and he wants to be with you during the difficult days. Does that make sense? Any questions? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that your word is true that your love never goes away, that even when we're having a bad day, you promise to be with us, you promise to bless us, to continue to grow us and move us closer and closer to your heart because of what you did for us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's his love that he showed on the cross that helps us to get through life. And so we thank you that your word reminds us of your love each and every day, and we just pray that as these young men study more of your word and hope for kids today, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids, or you can just stay here while I preach the sermon, but it's boring, I warn you. All right. Y'all have a great time. You can go. You can go either way. It's a free country. For now. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) All right. Yeah, so. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's why I had kids, so they can remind me that I'm a terrible person. And it's good. Keeps me, like, my feet on the ground. Um, All right, so we are in the midst of a relatively new sermon series. This is installment number two. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, thank you though. I need that. Um, And um, this series is called Unveiled, and the 
the way that we're approaching this series is we're looking through the Bible for unnamed women and the stories of their interactions with God. We're trying to understand God's heart for for women and for all of his children. We're trying to look at these women and the faith that God uh, develops in them to appreciate uh, who they are and what they contribute to our understanding of who God is. And the idea is that we are going to look at these stories through that lens of what these women reveal to us about God. And I want you, as we go through this series, if, if you are a woman, I want you to look at this as a celebration of who you are and the sisterhood to whom you belong. If you are a man, I want you to look at this series as a way of better valuing the women in your life, those women who um, God has surrounded you with, and so that we can all better appreciate the gift that they are to uh, this world, our lives, our church, our families, etc. And so each of these installments will be uh, looking at a different woman whose name does not appear in the Bible, um, but whose story helps us understand who God is and how his redemptive heart is geared toward his people. So I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we will get started. God, our loving Father, we come before you as your children. We pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. As we open our Bibles, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would reveal to us through your word that which you want us to change, those places where you want us to grow, and those uh, people that you want us to do a better job of loving and serving. And Lord, as we do that, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and we, we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift before you those who are in need of your healing mercies and we pray your wholeness over them. I lift before you uh, my good friend David Green this morning who is um, facing the end of his life in ICU in Tennessee. And I just pray that you would be with him as he transitions into your presence and that you would be with his family as they uh, wade through this difficult time. And I just pray that you would draw each of them closer to you and closer to each other uh, as they walk through this time of um, incredible pain. And we just, uh, we lift up all of your children who are suffering. We think of the people in Florida and South Carolina and elsewhere uh, in Cuba in the wake of Ike and was it I, I, what's, his, what's the hurricane's name? Ian, thank you, excuse me. Um, and uh, we just pray that uh, your people would pour out your love in those places in ways that show up in real time. Lord, we, um, we lift up all of the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation there. We lift up those who mourn, 
We pray that you would comfort their hearts. We lift up our country and our leaders at every level of government. And we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We ask that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. And Lord, we lift up those who've returned home from their service to our country changed as a result of the sacrifices they were willing to make for our country. We pray that you would pour out your healing upon them, mind, body, and soul. And we pray that you would use us, your church, to minister that healing and grace to them. We lift up the churches that we're connected to uh, here in Texas and around the world through our denomination and our missions giving. We pray your blessing over those uh, bodies that are gathering together today. We lift up the church plants that are taking place in our denomination in Texas, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we pray your blessing over them. We lift up our churches that we are connected to through our missions giving, and we pray for them in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we just pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit in those places and and we thank you that you have involved us in that movement of your kingdom in those areas of the world. We pray your blessing over this time we spend in your word this morning. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. All right. So we come this morning to uh, a woman who is not an Israelite. Uh, she lives um, in what is modern-day Lebanon, and I need to give you a little bit of background for this story. Um, we're in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings, and the prophet's name is Elijah, and Elijah has a terrible job uh, because there, there were three ordained offices or, or anointed offices in the Old Testament. Uh, there was the office of prophet, which Elijah holds. There's the office of priest, which, which they all work in the temple. And then there's the office of king. And when those three offices are all in sync and working together, uh, God's kingdom is rather unstoppable. When one of those or one or more of those offices become corrupt and cease to work in harmony with the other offices of God's kingdom, there is chaos. And in this particular period of history, uh, there is a king named Ahab uh, who is not a good guy. He's a bad person. He's corrupt. He's evil. He is violent. And he is um, incredibly self-centered. He has a wife who could, you could argue, was actually worse than he was. But as a team, they were just terror on steroids. They were bad people. And they didn't seem to understand that they were the king and the queen of Israel, the, the people who are called to be God's presence on earth. And they were more interested in preserving their power and manipulating 
uh, everything they possibly could toward their own ends. And Ahab and Jezebel um, were just a, a evil little pairing of people in the history of Israel. Elijah's job is to tell the truth. And to tell the truth to people who are evil makes those evil people want to kill you. And so Ahab and Jezebel had a vendetta uh, out for Elijah. They were, they were literally, at various points throughout their reign, seeking to have him executed. So his job is a little precarious, it's a little difficult. Um, and it, when we pick up this story... Um, Elijah is going to say to the king and consequently to the queen that God is going to withhold rain for several years, until which time God tells the prophet to bring the rain back. So what's if you just watch the control power dynamics here, um, Elijah is saying to the king who wants to control everything that really the most important aspect of making your economy function, I'm going to be in control of. God is taking control of that away from you, and you're not going to get any rain, you're not going to have any crops to harvest until I say there shall be rain. And this makes Elijah even less popular with the reigning elites, and you will see that little snippet in verse 1 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Um, and then Elijah flees Israel, crosses the Jordan, and lives in his home state, actually, for a brief period of time. And then the creek that he's get drinking water out of dries up because there's no rain. And God says to Elijah, get up again and go to what is now modern-day Lebanon. So he goes from Israel to what is modern-day Jordan, and then he goes down to the coast to modern-day Lebanon. And that's where we pick up the story where he meets this widow. Um, and I will just, um, I'll, I'll say two more things just for clarification. Uh, we'll, I'll repeat this later, but widowhood in the ancient world was more than just loneliness it was a it was a, it was usually economically devastating your 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 team of husband and wife the husband was generally the one generating the income for the household and so if he died prematurely the household would go gradually and gradually progressively into deeper and deeper poverty and you're going to see some hints of that in this passage. And this woman has a youngish child, probably elementary age, we can gather from, the, from what we see in the text. Um, and uh, she's, in a, she's in a bad place when Elijah meets her. Um, and just to clarify one thing, she is called in this passage the mistress of the house. That's just the feminine for master of the house it just means she owns the house that's all it means it's not nothing funny going on here um, she just happens to be because her husband had passed away 
the owner of the house where Elijah takes up residence while he's in exile. So, all right, there's all your background. Uh, We're now going to read, I'm going to read just verse 1 of chapter 17, which kind of sets the tone and gives you the background and context of why Elijah has had to flee. And then um, I'm going to read verses 8 through 24, which is the interaction with this woman whose name we do not know. So here we go. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Tsarepat, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, The son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth.
sometimes life is full of strange ironies and God can use the most unlikely people to teach us things, to show us things, to reveal things to us about who he is. And I just want you to think about Elijah for a moment. He's, he's in exile, and he's sitting by this creek, and it goes dry. And God says, don't worry. Uh, I got you covered. You're going to go down to this other country, and there's a widow there who's going to feed you. This makes no sense, right? It, it makes absolutely no sense. It's like, uh, you know, I lost my job, I ran out of money, and I'm going to move to, I don't know, Ethiopia, right, where there's a famine. Like, it makes no sense. There's just no, uh, like, what? You're going to, what? You're sending me where? To who? Why? What? And Elijah makes his way to this foreign country. And as soon as he gets to the place God told him to go, there's this widow. And it says she's gathering sticks. What, what that means is she has no money for fuel for her fire. She's out foraging for whatever she can find to burn. The city gates make sense because people set down their burdens to kind of check in uh, at the city gate and maybe something falls out or a staff breaks and they throw it away or who knows, right? And so there she is just foraging, looking for something. And she's found enough wood to make a small fire to heat up an oven and cook her handful of flour, which um, is the last thing she has. And she meets Elijah, and he asks for food. Crazy, right? Makes no sense. And here's what I want us to sort of focus on in these first few verses here. This idea that when we think it's over, when we think there's nothing left, God is not done with you. He's not done with you. There's more that he wants for you and through you to accomplish. So we start with this idea that God is not done with us. He was not done with Elijah. He was not done with this widow. And I'll, I'll say it this way. God's love shines the brightest when it is shining on the outcast. The person who feels alone, hopeless, without. This is where God's love does its best work. It doesn't take much light to help out when you're in complete darkness. God's love shines the brightest 
on the outcast, the exile, which is Elijah, and the hopeless, which is the widow. Elijah had fled for his life. In his case, faithfulness led to suffering. Being faithful to what God called him to do led to suffering. The irony is he goes to someone who knows what suffering is. He goes in a state of need to someone who is in a greater state of need. And God says the whole time, I've got this. I'm going somewhere with both of you. I love you. I'm not done with you yet. His love shines brightest on the outcast, and his love shines brightest on the unlikely. And you will see this theme recur throughout this series, just how unlikely that, that this woman, in her poverty, in her widowhood, would be the agent of salvation for the prophet of God. What a beautiful picture. Um, God's love shines brightest on the unlikely. Those with no position, those with no power. Elijah doesn't go to the embassy. He doesn't go to some palace. He finds this widow foraging at the gates of her village, and he asks her, the least likely person to have something to offer is who God wants to use to bless him, to sustain him. God was not done. Um, I, yeah, well, we'll talk about this. I'll, I'll, let, me keep, let me keep moving. God is not done with you. And the other thing we must remember when, when things go badly is that God will provide for us. And it may not be the provision you think you want or need, but God will provide. That's what he does. And so we have this um, bizarre interaction between an exile asking help from the least likely person to be able to provide it. But Elijah does at least understand that his God is a little funny. He works differently than the human power dynamic. And if God told him to ask this woman for bread, well then he's going to ask this woman for bread. And he does. And I absolutely love the interaction right? It's a call that Elijah is making to this woman to trust in the promise of God. Now, I want you to observe a couple of things. Elijah comes walking in. He is dressed like a prophet. I'm not entirely sure how to distinguish a, a, a prophet in antiquity from some other dude wearing a dress, 
but he's dressed like a prophet, okay? Um, and this woman probably doesn't know a ton about his religion, his culture, his background, but she can tell that he is a holy man, a prophet. He's got something that gives away, like today a, a priest might have a collar. I own one. I rarely wear it yet, but yeah. Um, and it would, it would give away that what he does, right, that he's a priest or a nun would wear a habit. I have a lot of bad habits. That's different. Um, um, so it would give away her vocation, if you will. Like you would know immediately, and you may not. You might not know anything about the Catholic Church or what order she belongs to, or you know what. What you know, you might not know anything, but you would know she's a nun, right? So Elijah comes strolling up to these village gates as a foreigner in exile, but with some giveaway that he's a man of God. And what does she say? Um, you know, so here he says, bring me a little water in a vessel my, I may drink. She turns around to take, to go get it. And he says, oh, and one more thing, a m morsel of bread. And she's like, as the Lord your God lives, like, I don't know what God you serve. I, I kind of do because she just said his name. But, but I don't know who you are, where you came from, really. But what, your God is crazy because he thinks I can help you. That's insane. And she almost kind of laughs at him in this interaction. Um, and then I just love this part. I just love it. Elijah is calling her to trust his promise. Do you see how quickly she goes dark? Did you notice that? She just says, I'm just gathering these sticks so I can cook this little handful of flour, this little few drops of oil, so my son and I can eat it and die. Right? It's like, wow, you're in a bad place. <laughs> you're really scarred by life. And she is. God's promise is still valid, even when we go dark. It's not based, his promise, his grace, his goodness to us is not based on how well we perform, on how good we are. And it is greater than our fears. And Elijah calls this out, do not fear, in verse 13, he says, just go ahead, do as I've asked, um, but go ahead and make me a little cake. That little act of faith, and this woman has got to be like, I guess, why not? Why not split the last meal I have? I mean, we're going to starve to death anyway. Why not get out of here a little sooner, right? And she goes completely dark on him, and he calls it out, and he points out to her, look, what I'm about to introduce you to, 
this grace, this God of grace, it's not based on you. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how well you behave, how good you have been, or how good you will be. My faith is based on the goodness of God, on the faithfulness of his Messiah to bring atonement and forgiveness to the sins of his people. Elijah understood this and somehow calls it out of this woman like, don't be afraid. I know it doesn't make sense, but we're going to do this together. We're going to do what is completely nonsensical together. And we are going to see that God is faithful, that he will provide, that he's not done with either one of us. We are to trust his promise, and we are to trust his word. Elijah inherently represents the office of the word of God. That's his job. That's his job is to to protect and advance the proclamation of God's word in the world. That's the office of the prophet. And as such, what he says is to instill in those around him deeper faith, deeper trust, a deeper belief that God will always be faithful. And so Elijah is ministering to this one person. Think about this. His, his job, his calling, is to be the prophet for all of Israel. How'd that work out? Not very well. Uh, you, could, you could effectively call him a failure as a pastor, as a leader, as a whatever. Like, it ain't working. And he goes into exile, and then he has to go farther into exile, and he's by himself, and he's now at the point where he is dependent on the kindness of someone who is so impoverished she believes she's going to starve to death in the near future. And this is the partnership that he strikes up. And hey, it looks pretty good to him. She's got a house. Uh, she's got a handful of bread. She's got a little bit of oil. And he has the faithfulness of God. And, and so this is all we need, folks. This reminder that God isn't done with us, that he will provide for us, that we're to trust his promise, to trust his word, to know that he is always faithful and that his word is always reliable. We can lean into the strength of God's word. And <clears throat> so here we are at this point in the story. Elijah has demonstrated the goodness of God to this woman, and this, his, his ministry has been reduced to two people. Well, himself, a widow, and her son. So that's all he's got for prophesying or whatever he did, right? He's, he's done, and here he is, and he is able to, to demonstrate just to her, just to this one who's gone dark, that God's not done and that he will provide. And then it gets a lot worse. Her son falls sick, 
loses the breath of life. And the widow goes immediately back to that dark, wounded space, right? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Are you calling out my sin and calling that to account and taking it out on my son? And I want you to pay attention to a couple of things. It is, it is impossible when you lose someone you love to not blame yourself somehow, to not ask the question, what could I have done differently? What should I have done? What did I not do, right? And Elijah says it wasn't you. Just let me have the boy. Let him come with me. And he takes the boy up to the roof, and he says to God, dude, what are you thinking? Like, this this makes even less sense. And he prays, and he does some kind of bizarre uh, CPR on this kid, right? He lays down three times on top of the kid, and... The boy comes back to life. He breathes again. Not because of what Elijah did physically, but because of what Elijah brought to the equation spiritually. There was death. There was now life. Now, this woman looks up at what has happened, and she makes a confession. She says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. She gets it. It all makes sense to her somehow. And here is what God wants for you in this text. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to know that that there is something that transcends this life. first response of this woman is God must be out to get me he must be he must have something against me my sin that he would do this to me and God says no that's not the way I work I don't take out things on people I love I am redemptive I am restorative I am the God of hope God is not out to get you. And it may feel that way at times. I I will acknowledge that, especially in the face of loss. It's very disorienting. But as I said earlier, God's light shines the brightest in times of darkness. Um, I do find it fascinating in this account that this woman who was not an Israelite at least understood something about the office of prophet that Elijah brought with him some sense of holiness. And so she immediately connects it to her own sin. And then Elijah and God together move in to say, no, no, honey, 
that's not it. This isn't happening because you sinned. This is, this is happening to demonstrate something to you and to all of God's people that God wants us to have hope. He wants us to be able to look past whatever calamity we're in the middle of and see that he's not done with us, that he will provide for us, that he wants us to have hope. And so here, in this call to look past the calamity, I want us to to look at some of the things that this passage is pointing to. And some of these components are, are a bit, they may seem a bit cryptic, but I want you to look at it this way. This is God forming the pottery of history, and his fingerprints are all over it. And so when you see a piece from one period of history with God's fingerprints all over it, and you see a piece from another period of history with the same fingerprints all over it, you can look and go, That's, these are connected. These are made by the same potter. And this is how this passage works in a few ways. I'll, I'll try to point them out. You, you remember, Elijah laid down on this boy three times. And on the third time, life came back from the dead. Jesus was laid in a tomb, and on the third day, life came back from the dead. This passage points to a resurrection from the dead, that God spiritually has a power that is greater than death. That this God is loving and his love compels him to pull us from this life into the next. And that that truth transcends the realities of this life, the calamities of this world. That there is something greater than what is right here before us. This passage points us past the calamity and toward the resurrection of God's Son and to the eternal life that is found in His Word. That we can, through the Word of God, see something that not only is greater than this life, but that can transform us even in this life. And it's not limited by us. It's a function of the limitless power of our Creator. It is fascinating to me to watch the rhythms that this woman goes through of a prophet asking her for food of all things, which she knows she doesn't have. And she sort of mocks him and goes very dark. And he's like, no, no, honey, God's not done with you. He's, going, he's got a plan. And you're in it. And Elijah demonstrates to her that God is faithful and that he will provide. 
and she enjoys that provision until this tragedy happens. And then she goes back to that place where she was emotionally before Elijah found her. And Elijah said, let me, let me talk to the God of hope. And he comes back down with her living son. And then she makes a confession that is just beautifully articulate. And think about she's never been to Sunday school class. She's, she doesn't read Hebrew. She, she's never heard a Bible story. She's never been a good Christian, right? Here she is, completely separate from the people of God. And the prophet comes to her, and at the end of it, she says, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Good girl. Well done. And I want to just like, I'm going to read, uh, they're printed in your bulletin if you want to look at them, but I'm going to read three different passages from the New Testament uh, to conclude with. And I want you to just think of the, some of the themes and the rhythms that were in this passage, the water and the bread, um, the, the death and the life, the resurrection from the dead. And I just want you to hear these words from mostly, well, from Jesus, who fulfilled this story. And he actually quoted this story uh, it's in, it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, and he actually refers back to this woman as a demonstration that God's love is not just for the good religious people. It's for everyone all over the world. And hear these words first from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I'm just going to read verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And then in Revelation 21, 6, the author of Revelation, John of Patmos, is quoting Jesus. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This, this woman that God brought Elijah to got to be part of this timeless story that God's love transcends the calamity of this life. That God loves his children, that he will provide for them, he's not done with them, and that he will lead each one of us toward his grace, his will, his heart, his love, his peace, not because of what we have done well, but simply because his son went to the cross and pointed at you 
and said, that one, she is mine. She will understand what it means that I can bring life out of death, that I can provide, that I love, that I care, that I'm not done with anyone. You are his child. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, our hearts ache with the thoughts of those who've gone from this life and we wanted them to come back to life. And yet you are pointing our hearts toward a greater truth that transcends this life, that reminds us that there is a life eternal in your Son that quenches the thirst of our souls, that provides the bread that nourishes our spiritual selves, that we can be transformed, that we can look past the calamities of this life, and see the hope that you have set before us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this woman that you included in your will to demonstrate to us what your heart is, your heart to include, to redeem, to move toward the least likely of people and say to them, you're not done to provide and to give us hope eternal. Lord, aim our hearts at that hope today and help us in the week ahead to live out of that strength of knowing that you're not done with us, that you will provide and that you have set before us a hope eternal through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Anchor our hearts there and lead us to live out of that strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.